flourishing families with Dr. Daughter Blatt, the switched-on kids chiropractor, and her passionate friends, sharing the secrets of inspiring wellness to help your families thrive. So I'm really excited to be here with Natalie April today. Natalie is sleep and settle um, owner and I would like to say expert, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that. But welcome Natalie, it's so great to see you here today. Thank you Jonathan. So just tell me, um, sleep and settle, um, what's that all about? It's my baby sleep consultancy business that I started in 2004, so it's 14 years old. Wow, Yeah. you've been around. So what what does what does it entail? What what uh, what do you do with your business? So I'm a child and family health nurse. Originally, I was a registered nurse. So I I being a child and family health nurse address developmental issues, feeding, playing, bedroom, daily routines, sleep for children from newborns to five year olds, sometimes mm -hmm. older. Okay, so do you deal with all that in your sleep and settle um, business? Absolutely. Excellent. Yes. So it, it's um, it's very individual for each family what their issues are, but we always come back to those basics of looking at how the whole day of the baby or the toddler impacts on your night and vice yeah. versa. Yeah, there's been so much in the news lately about how sleep affects long-term health. Uh, I, I know that the, the things we've heard on the radio or seen on TV has been more about adults, but tell me about what, what, what happens when we sleep, why is sleep so important for health? Oh, I love my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's our time of rest and rejuvenation. It's when we calm our brain, calm our bodies, our bodies heal and they nurture us and we rest in order to apply our energy the next day. And my mum used to always say, we judge the day we're going to have by the amount of sleep we have the night before. And how true is that? <laughs> and yeah. it is true. And I think for sleep deprived mums, you start the day in a negative way and you wake up and you think, I don't know how I'm going to survive today. And I remember as a sleep-deprived mum of a four-year-old, a two-year-old, a newborn, waking yeah. up and thinking, what exactly do I have to do today that's absolutely necessary? And yeah. how quickly can we all go to bed tonight? Yeah, yeah. How can I tire these kids out? <laughs> exactly. How can we all go to bed as soon as possible tonight? What do I have to fit into my day? Because yeah. I was so sleep-deprived that I thought I would crash the car on the way to preschool. So I really remember that. I, I had a mum in the other day that had her husband drive her in because she said, I'm, I'm not safe on the road. I almost yeah. crashed into someone just because of that. And we forget yeah. how dangerous it is when you're not paying full attention. Yeah. Sleep deprivation is torture. Yeah. 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 So I love giving parents their sleep back. I thrive on that. Giving them their sleep back and giving them their life back. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. So what, what, do you, what do you do? What, what um, would a visit... Um, entail what advice not necessarily give me the advice but you know what's the sort of big picture of what you do so i can work with families locally nationally or internationally because i have an ebook for babies and toddlers yeah and i provide telephone or skype consultations or i can hold the mum's hand in her home at her child's sleep time in their bedroom and personally walk them through 
the fine tuning. And most of the time, it's just fine tuning. The little changes they need to make yeah. to boost their confidence and turn those settling and sleeping problems around. Yeah. Uh, so you told me a little while ago the, the big picture of what it is that you're looking for when you walk. Let's just say you're walking into the home. What What are some of the things that you will um, find that is generally an issue for for the parents you see that might be a, you know, a small change but a, a big difference to the sleep? Really we find she in those five, those whole five steps. So while the parents' focus is just on the sleep, yeah. I'm very focused on the whole day and how it impacts on the night. Yeah. So we usually do find she something about the timing of the child's day. So how long they're awake for when they eat and play and sleep because sometimes a half an hour change in sleep time during the day can make a huge difference yeah. at night yeah. and to early morning waking as well. Yeah. And then with the diet, I find myself talking about food more than I talk about sleep these days. So right. Alerting the parents to the impact of artificial and natural food chemicals on sleep, yeah. in particular preservatives, colours and flavourings, so call those numbers, or salicylates and the impact that has on sleep. And then we find you in the play because the play is as much about mental stimulation as physical stimulation and also talking about vitamin D. Yeah. Because so many parents are scared about skin cancer these days yeah. and the children are not getting enough vitamin D. So this generation of children is vitamin D deficient. Yeah, it's scary, isn't so, it? So, you know, informing the parents about the importance of vitamin D and sunshine on their skin for immunity and for melatonin production. Yeah, yes. yeah. And I think the average Australian, sorry I'm butting in here, the average Australian child uh, gets something like 30 minutes of outdoor play a day. It's... The, when you think of uh, the amount of sunshine and, you know, the space that we have compared to yeah. other places in the world, it yeah. is, yeah... Yeah. Not good. And of course we want to avoid the high UV times, but yeah. there's still a lot of hours when the child can be outside with the parents. Yeah. And then we talk about the bedroom environment, and sometimes changes we make in minutes can make hours of difference to sleep in the bedroom. And then of course we address the self-settling sleep strategy. Right. And most importantly, we don't do control crying or crying out. It's, it's not about leaving that child in the bed to cry itself to sleep. It's about looking at what are the parents currently doing? Acknowledging that's not working for them anymore. It wasn't right or wrong. It's just not working for them anymore. And so how do we address the child's personality, the parent's personality? What feels comfortable? How can we change the child's expectations of what happens at sleep time and therefore change their behaviour in the most gentle way but acknowledging the child's not going to necessarily like the changes. And then empower the parents with the confidence to keep applying that information because it takes time. It can take between 3 and 21 days to change a habit in a child, a baby or a toddler, that doesn't know things are going to change, they don't want them to change, and they're going to fight the changes. Because if they were breastfed, bottle-fed, cuddled, rocked, bounced on a football, driven around in a car... (laughs) in between mum and dad in bed with one finger up a nose and one finger holding dad's ear, that's a lovely way to go to sleep. And yeah. we acknowledge that. So why would the child want to turn that around and not do that anymore? You know? So we acknowledge all of that and then we find what is comfortable and confident for the parents to apply. Yeah.
That sounds great. <laughs> so now you said yourself that you uh, had a few years of, of um, being sleep deprived. Yes. Um, I, I'm just going to throw the question at you. Is that what um, inspired you to to start something like this, or do you have a sit- hidden talent? <laughs> well, actually, it's not very hidden, is it? <laughs> you're, you're good with babies. You're excellent with babies. I think. Oh, uh, no, I, I wasn't aware of this service. When I had my children, I had a beautiful clinic sister down the road that I could walk to, which I think is really rare these days. Yeah. And I walked down to see Barbara, and I took I the little babies, <laughs> and I would sit there with my eyes wide open and my ears open, saying, "Why are they doing this? What's going on? I don't know what." So, and she would gently look at me, and she would answer my questions and give me a brochure or give me some information, and I would go home and apply it and go, oh, "I love Barbara. She's my best friend." And I would look forward to that monthly visit with her and, you know. And then I became a nursing mother's breastfeeding counsellor, which is how we went, and really enjoyed that. And then it was a situation of thinking, well, I'm a nurse and I don't want to go back shift work and I don't really want to work weekends with little children. So how could I expand on that volunteer role with, with the nursing mothers to to apply that information in a, in a job. So decided to study child and family health and that was my dream job. I was so excited when I finished that course. That was my dream job. Really enjoyed it, but then it dawned on me that every person that came to the clinic for that 15-minute appointment had an issue with sleep. Yeah. And half the people would go home with the little bit of information we gave them and come back and say, oh, thank goodness everyone's sleeping. And the other half would come back and say, no, something's not right, it's not working. And I thought, mm, I really need to go home with these families and see what they're doing at home because the clinic environment is so artificial. So I'd heard of one other person in Australia who was doing that and then decided, well, maybe I can do it. So I and I'm sure you're amazing. I've never had the uh, the opportunity to use your smart because our kids are the same ages. But yeah, um, and, and I mean, I hear all the time how amazing you are, and you know the baby whisperer and all that, <laughs> the, the fantastic stuff. So that's that's great. Uh, is there a particular age group that you find uh, would be of more need of your services? Um, I, I obviously often hear both from the babies, the toddlers, and and even as they start uh, that whole school situation. Um, do you find that there's a particular time or age where the, the kids need more help or parents need more help? It's very individual for each family, but most of my consults would be under the age of one. Right. And any older children, it's just where the parents were desperately hoping the child would grow out of it. Yeah. Or they have trouble transitioning from the cot where they're stuck. I love them being stuck (laughs) to the big bed and now they can get out and suddenly there's a problem. So there's no ideal time, but I suppose because my information is so gentle and so holistic, you can actually apply it from day dot and prevent the problems. So while it's deemed a solution to sleeping and sleeping problems, it is actually a preventative as well. Well, that's what we want. Yes, because if the parents have confidence from the very beginning about the child's developmental needs and how long they would be happy to be awake for and what's sufficient feeding and what's sufficient play and how do I wrap and what what bedroom environment will induce sleep and then how do I 
have my happy, content, fat, you know, sleepy baby <laughs> ready to go into its bed, how can I not start sleeping habits that I have to undo later? Then that's exactly what my book's all about. So, yeah. so they, they can prevent problems from the beginning. Yeah. And some parents do contact me when they literally come home from hospital and they say, let's just give you a couple of weeks to settle in and your baby to wake up a bit more because, you know, around that three, four-week age group, they yeah. go from sleeping all the time to, hello, yeah. I'm awake, I can cry now, <laughs> use my lungs. And so I think it's nice for the parents to get a little bit of a, an idea about, get over the shock of the birth. Mind you, I think it takes more than three, four weeks. But then also get into a little bit of a habit and get to know each other a bit better and wait for the baby to wake up before yeah. we do it. Yeah, that's fair enough. Now, you mentioned diet. Um, how much uh, do you feel that diet influences a, a baby's sleep? A hundred percent. And the evidence is there. Yeah. So if you look at Sue Dengate's website, which I think I stalk daily <laughs> and send thousands of other people to daily, or if you even look at what Jamie Oliver's been trying to do. So Sue Dengate's been trying to do for 40 years what Jamie Oliver's been doing for the last, what, 10 or 15 years. Acknowledging the role of artificial colours, flavours and preservatives on health and behaviour and sleep. And the evidence is there. So we know that what the mother, if the mother's breastfeeding, what she breathes, drinks, eats, rubs on her skin, goes through to the breast milk yeah. and so her diet goes through to the breast milk and we are just living in an era where the food we are eating now is completely different to the food that we ate when we were children and the preservatives colors and flavorings are sneaking into the bread the cheese the yogurt the rice crackers the healthy food that yeah. we're eating yeah. and these chemicals impact on our body so Sometimes when I talk to parents, it's simply a matter of <coughs> changing brands, not necessarily taking something out of your diet, unless it's Fruit Loops or Cheerios, because they're not actually food. So we would remove those from the diet. But generally speaking, sometimes it's just changing the brand of the bread or the yogurt or the cheese, and also acknowledging that the food companies play sneaky tricks on us and hide chemicals in food and try to call it something else. So, for example, natural flavours, natural preservative, natural colour are artificial. Yeah. But because it says natural, we think that it's okay. Yeah. And there are some products like the squeezy packets of food that actually can say no preservative, no colouring, no flavouring on the label. But Sue Gate will tell you that if it's under a certain percentage, they can still be in there, but they can legally put that on the label. So we, you know, as a society, need to go back to the basics of eating as much whole food as we can, lowering our intake of processed food and being aware of what we're putting in our tummy and the impact that it's having on our health and our gut yeah. and the impact that can have on our children. Yeah. So just not that it's necessarily directly related to sleep, but how, how long does it actually take for the food to travel through, I know it's probably different from, from chemical or, or protein to protein, uh, but let's just say that mum goes out, she has lunch with her friends and she's eating something that she knows may not be the smartest for the child, whether that's lactose or whether it's an artificial um, 
flavoring or whatever. How long can she expect it to take before the baby, uh, first of all, receives it, and second of all, maybe reacting? The, if we're talking about a, a new mother, the, the simplest example I can come to, like the, a breastfeeding mother, is lots and lots of examples I hear all the time of the friends the childless friends bring over the new parents a takeaway dinner. Yeah. Mum has the beef madras curry for dinner and she's so grateful the friends have bought takeaways she doesn't have to cook and the baby screams all night and has these explosive bowel motions with a napping rash. Yeah. So for some reactions that are very spicy, it can be within hours and it can last 12 hours. With an allergy, you react within 30 minutes. With a food intolerance, to artificial or natural chemicals, it can build up over days, weeks and months and that's the problem. Yeah. The problem is there's no instant reaction. Yeah. You might consume something or the child might consume something after a, a, an extra load. So you've been, for example, it's coming into summer, watermelon might be the trigger for some children or it might be the high salicylate fruits. And because they're in season now and we didn't eat them in winter we're now starting to eat them all the time and it might be three days it might be three weeks it might be a month down the track and then the child's behavior goes off the, the charts or the sleep starts to be disturbed but it might just be that last day that pushed the child over their tolerance level and yeah. made them intolerant yeah. it's just too hard to tell yeah no that, that was basically what i was looking for because i often find when when i talk to parents that it's like well you know what did i have yesterday and that's what they base on no 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 it's perfectly fine because i had blah 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 blah. Yeah. Um, and i think it is important to remember that yes it builds up but also that it can take you know a couple of days even just it may come through the breast milk straight away but yes. uh, there is a reaction um possibly later once it gets to a certain level that's right and i think that's important to remember when we're trying to decide can I have Madras curry, you know, yeah. or should yeah. I maybe not? Or should I not, yeah. 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 So I would just encourage all me mums not to have any spicy Indian food. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad, but then I have to it's wait a little while. Have the rice and some boring vegetables and a mild sauce, but not too yeah. spicy. <laughs> so uh, if you think back on your uh, long, wonderful career, can you think of, um, of like a, an experience that might, have, might stand out in your head as being funny, entertaining, a bit bit out there that um, you'd like to share with our listeners? Oh, my favourite one is where I'm walking through a shopping centre and I normally walk with racehorse blinkers on so I don't run into anyone I know and have to stop and talk or <laughs> I, don't, I don't look at babies and strollers <laughs> and, and feel like I'm working all the time. But occasionally I'll be standing in a line or in the supermarket or in Target because I'm always in Target. I, <laughs> I love Target. Yes. <laughs> and then um, occasionally a husband will come up to me and tap me on the shoulder and give me a hug and I'll turn around and think, I don't know who this person is. <laughs> but they look really friendly. <laughs> and then there'll be some mum bursting towards me in Australia going, hi. And, and the husband will say, you've changed my life. you saved my wife. You've turned our life around. Aww. We've got a new baby. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I'm glad I saw your wife. <laughs> so that's always really lovely. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Or when um, my clients will sometimes report that they'll be in some mother's room and 
they'll hear some mother singing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and they'll stick their head out and look at the mother and sometimes say to them, depending upon whether they look, you know, like they're in the vicinity, have you seen Natalie? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like this Twinkle Twinkle Little Star thing as a sleep song and sort of become my little thing. Oh, and, very good. Yeah, so that's always nice when parents run into other parents that have used me. <laughs> they jump on Facebook and say, I need help. And then, you know, 20 people say, oh, go see Natalie. And they're like, oh, good, good, good. <laughs> go see Twinkle Twinkle. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, as the the last little thing uh, I'd love for you to do, if you, if you can, uh, I realise you've got you know, a beautiful business and I'm not expecting you to sit here and give all your secrets away. Um, but is there a piece of advice you can give for, uh, obviously the reason we're doing this podcast is to help the, the people that come to our practice. Yeah. Uh, so there's not a particular age group or anything, but is there a particular advice you can say, this I found makes a big difference with regards to, to sleep? Mm-hmm. Okay, so for the not to 12-month-old babies, I think, be very aware of their awake times and and sleep cues. So if the parents are aware of how long the age-appropriate awake time for their child is, they can keep an eye on the clock, feed them efficiently, play with them, then know when that lovely sweet spot window is to look for the tired signs and then wrap their baby or put their sleeping bag on and go and sing Twinkle Twinkle and get them into their cushy bedroom and avoid crying. That's that's the one big thing for this age group. That's what we want. When we, when we know what the child's needs are and we meet them efficiently and as the parents... You know the children know what they want, but we know what they need. Yes. So being aware of the child's developmental needs in terms of appropriate awake times, feeding, playing, and the bedroom, that prevents half the problem because the child's not going to bed too early or too late. They're not overtired. They're not crying, and the parents are thinking, "Is it hunger? Is it pain? Have they been bitten by a green ant? You know, why yeah. are they screaming at yeah. me?" Yes. You prevent half the crying. And then you know your child's giving you their tired signs and you can happily put them into bed. So that's probably the biggest nugget there. And, of course, teaching that age group to self-settle as soon as possible gives the child the capacity to sleep through the night as soon as they're developmentally ready to. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I'm interrupting here again. How the heck do you teach a potentially one-year-old to self-settle? Well, with any age group, it's simply a matter of withdrawing what you used to do right. to put them to sleep yeah. in the most gentle way and getting them to the point where they're calm and ready to go to sleep but not doing that last bit for yeah. them. Right. So, so whether then that's the daddy's ear and mummy's nose yes. finger trick. Yeah, okay. Or bouncing, rocking or whatever. And it doesn't yeah. matter what age group it is. Yeah. It's simply that. You withdraw what you were doing and replace it with something more manageable but it's the point that you leave the room, that's the key point. At what point do I leave the room knowing that I haven't put this child to sleep, that they were comfortable and, and you know, calm and relaxed and happy and ready to go to sleep when you walk out. Like, it's a nice thing. And then with the toddlers, I think the biggest trick for the toddlers is understanding the importance of active play and no screen time. 
stepping into uh, (laughs) screen time. And there is a national push for no screen time for children under the age of two. And and a a limit on screen time of 30 minutes over the age of two. But if you talk to any teacher, you will just hear that story writing, creative thinking, creative plays going out the window. Children don't know how to be bored and then stimulate themselves to play because they're expecting this electronic stimulation 24 hours a day. And that screen time impacts on their ability of the toddler to go to sleep. So if we understand how to involve the toddler in whatever jobs you have to do around the house and make it fun and make it a game and get them to help you, you're stimulating them, you're teaching them stuff, you're bonding with them, they're getting worn out and they're earning their sleep and they don't need the screen time. And that solves half the problems for the toddlers in their sleep. What is it that they say? No screen time before two, but something like 97% of two-year-olds know how to find Twinkle Twinkle on uh, YouTube on mum's iPhone. Mm. So obviously it's, you know, they're very good at teaching themselves how to use the screens that they shouldn't touch. They say that every generation is born with the capacity to handle the technology of the parents. Yeah. I'll just repeat that, that every generation is born with the capacity to handle the technology load of the parents. Yeah. So we, we're giving birth to children that are going to be tech savvy because yeah. it's become part of our lifestyle. Yeah. But just because we can utilise technology to make our lives better or for entertainment or for controlling our car and our home and our air conditioners doesn't mean that our children need to be in front of a screen 24 hours a day. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that we don't need to spend quality time with them and have them exercising and playing and problem solving. So we need, as the parents, remember the children know what they want but we know what they need. And it's our responsibility to create that stimulating, bonding, parenting experience. Very true. Love it. And so what have we got? You said toddlers. So is, does that count up to five? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. It's, yeah. For, those, for the, the children that I see that are toddlers that are having the biggest sleeping issues, it's their ability to be worn out and their ability to wind down. Yeah. And there is too much television, too much screen time, and their brains are wired and they, they can't close off. Yeah, well, that's excellent advice. Um, obviously, uh, difficult to implement. There's no doubt about that because we, the kids know what they love, yeah. <laughs> uh, and the I suppose the little brief time where we can actually do whatever we want to do, whether that's being on the screen or whether it's doing the dishes. Um, but it's definitely worth the effort through the day to to get the kids to sleep all night so we can get our sleep ourselves and heal and regenerate and rejuvenate and and wake up the next morning with a positive attitude. Yeah. So thank you so much, Natalie. That was so amazing. I'm so pleased you could come in again uh, and I really appreciate your time. You're very welcome. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the opinion of Family Chiropractic or the host. Brought to you by Family Chiropractic Centre, Charlestown. Serving the families in Newcastle, Lake Macquarie and Charlestown.